Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Start with Matthew 16. Start where we left off last week. Told you that we were going to begin a series of messages and Over the next several weeks, we want to talk about the function of the church, the role of the church, and then specifically, what has God called us to do? What has God called us to be? Amen. Who has he called us to be? And in Mark, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, beginning with verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do men say that I am? Who do, who do men think that I am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And notice their first uh, uh, response, or their first, their, their only ability, if you will, to define who Jesus is or clarify who Jesus is was based on likening him to something that they've already experienced. And this is what we do a lot of times with church, and this is what we do a lot of times with Jesus, is we can only liken him to an experience, to something we've already seen or something we've already had revealed to us or something that he's already, uh, that we've already experienced in our lives. But Jesus here says, I'm nothing like what you've experienced. You can't compare me to what you've already seen, what you've already been through, what you've already learned. How many of you know that Jesus wants to reveal a side of him to you you've never seen before? He does. If you think you've learned all about Jesus that you know because you've been in church for however long or you've been doing this for however long or you've been reading the Bible, I'm telling you right now, God is always wanting to reveal something you've never seen before. That's what he does. He is the revealer. God is a revealer. He operates by revelation. He doesn't operate by information. You can't learn about God by reading a book. You learn about God by experiencing him for yourself. If the only God you know is your grandma's God or your pastor's God or your spouse's God or your parents' God or your denomination's God, then I'm telling you right now, you've got a lot to learn and a lot to discover. I get asked Bible theological questions all the time, and I don't mind it. I'm, I'm glad you're hungry. I'm glad you desire to know. But when we want to know information over wanting to know God and who he is for himself, we're approaching God from the wrong angle because God cannot be known by information. God is known by revelation. And if you think your walk with God is going to get closer because somebody is able to answer all your deep theological questions, you're not going to be any closer to him than you were when you first asked. But one moment with God can change who he is to you. One revelation from God can change all that you know. This is what I've learned is that I find that I don't need to know as much as I thought I needed to know if I would just get to know him and not stuff about him. Amen? When I first met my wife and was interested in her and attracted to her, even before we started dating, we didn't get close because I asked all her friends a bunch of information about her. Now, I did. Hey, what's her number? What is she like? Where does she work? You know, all the stalky questions, all the weird questions. But eventually I had to break past just collecting information on Ashley, and I had to go out with Ashley and get to know Ashley and date Ashley and spend time with Ashley. You know what I have found is better than asking all her friends a bunch of information about her is getting to know her intimately, closely. That might have been more information you wanted to know about me and my wife today. That's okay. 
you did it too. Y'all had the two o'clock phone calls, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Are you asleep? No, I'm not asleep. Well, you were snoring. I just do that sometimes. I heard everything you just said. Yep. That was before texting. I didn't start texting my wife until after we were married, I feel like. I don't think we did. I mean, it was, you talked on the phone or you didn't talk. Real conversation. All the young people were like, what? You talk on the phone? That's what these things are supposed to be for. That's what this was originally created to do, to talk on it. They could hear your voice. Okay. So God wants to reveal himself. Doesn't just want you to go around collecting information. And God, I'm telling you, God will blow your mind. You'll find that there's no experience acceptable. There's no way you could compare who God is by just likening it to what you've already experienced. What if God wants to show you a side of himself you've never seen? And so he goes on, who do you say that I am? Now he's talking to people that ought to have a little more insight and have a little deeper connection, right? Who do men say? Who does the public say? Who do those that are far away say? But now who do you say? You've seen a little more, and you've been around me a little deeper, and you've, you've hurt me a little more. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds, and he says, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He said, you didn't come to figure that out on your own. See, you can only learn so much about God on your own. Your own natural ability. Look, there are theological books. There are deep thinkers. There are, there are ministers that have given their lives, instructors and philosophers and teachers that have given their lives to knowing stuff about God. But I can tell you right now, it never beats knowing who God is for yourself. I'm not telling you to, to go those routes. God values education. God values learning. God values a heart that desires to be taught and to be shown more. But at the end of the day, your relationship of, with God and with who he is cannot be grounded on stuff about him. It's got to be grounded in him. And you'll find that all in all your natural learning is limited. But my Father who is in heaven, he's revealed this to you. And he goes on to say, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind up uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the first time Jesus speaks about the church. The church here in this uh, writing is a capital C. This is not just any church. He's talking about his church. How many of you know that there is a his church? He takes it personal. He said, I will build my church. He said, this is my thing. So to try to build church without Jesus is no more church, is no longer church. We cannot have the church of the living God without Jesus and how he defines it. This is the second thing that we see is that if Jesus takes it personal, then we don't get to redefine what he's already defined. You know, we do this a lot in society. We redefine what God has already defined. There's a redefining of terms today. There's a redefining of love. We've come out with all new kinds of definitions of love today. New definitions for marriage. The world is trying to recreate what God has already created. 
God has already defined it. We don't have to step in and try to create a new marriage or a new idea of love. And we don't need to try to create a new idea of church. He's already given us a template. The third thing we see is the very first time that he mentions the church, he identifies it with authority and power, with the kingdom, with the government. In fact, we saw this last week that the word church is the Greek word ecclesia, ecclesia. And this is what it means. A group of people called out from the general population to serve in a government capacity to affect society. I'll say that again. It is a group of people called out from the general population to serve in a government capacity to affect society. That's literally what this word church means. And this is the thing. When he said this word church, this wasn't a brand new term to them. They had already seen this modeled on a government level. It had already been modeled before them. Jesus was, was pulling a template that had already been visualized before them. It had already been visible. They had already seen this in action. They had already seen a group of people called out from the general assembly of people, the general population, to legislate and make decisions that would be for the betterment of the community or for the betterment of society. They had already seen that model before them. And that's what you and I are. The church is not a building. The church is not an event. The church is not an organization. The church is not a ministry. The church is a people. You are the church. The church came to 416 Dale Drive today. I've said it before. This building could be anything. This building used to be Rugrats. Anybody come here when it was Rugrats? Anybody remember all the black lights and the glow-in-the-dark stuff? Yeah, we've done some work in here. We've modified it. We've turned it into a place where the church can come and assemble and worship God and grow in our relationships and hear the word of God uh, uh, uncompromised, not watered down. That's what you get to do here. But this building, this structure could be anything. It's not a church because we put a sign on it. It's a church because we put the church inside the facility. The church is a people. A people called out from the general population. So guess what? You look like the world on the outside. But we have something different to bring to them that they cannot, that they do not have to offer. Have you seen the world try to solve its own problems? They're failing miserably. The solutions they bring only cause greater problems. Anybody seen this? We see it in education. We see it in our economy. We see it in our social uh, uh, lifestyle. We see it in our government. We see it in sports. We see it in entertainment. We see it in, 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 in every sector of society. The world is trying to solve the problem themselves. And I'm telling you today, you are the only ones on the entire planet with the answer to solve the problem. The church. We're the only ones. The most powerful entity on this planet. Greater than any nuclear bomb. Greater than any attack. Greater than any army or military. Greater than any power. Greater than any level of finance. You are the most powerful entity on the planet. But when we try to redefine church, we compromise, we compromise its effectiveness. So we saw last week that there is a purpose for the church. And Jesus states it. If you ever want to know the purpose for something, you have to go to the beginning. When was it first designed? Right, we just talked about a cell phone and we just talked about all of its uses and all of its functions and, and all the things that this thing can do today, right? But if we want to get to the purpose of a telephone, 
just get down to the sheer purpose, the bottom line. Why was this thing originally created? You got to go back to, the be- back to the beginning. Was it Alexander Graham Bell that invented the telephone? Just, just shake your head. Yes, you look smart doing it. Yep. Yeah, you're right, Pastor Mark. That was it. And it confirms me and makes me feel better. You got to go back to the manufacturer. You got to go back to the original designer. You know, the thing about purpose is, the, is purpose is created before the thing is created. Purpose is created before the thing is created. Before you showed up, there was already a reason for your existence. <laughs> there was already a reason for you to come into this world. God doesn't bring anything into this world that doesn't have a reason already. Nothing shows up in this world by accident to God. There's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. So we go to the beginning. This is where Jesus first mentions the purpose. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that tells me this. We are supposed to be storming the gates of hell. I mean, let's just take it for what it says. That tells me if the gates of hell will not prevail, will not stand against the church, that tells me we're supposed to be in the business of tearing down the gates of hell. The last time I checked, gates are not an offensive mechanism. They are a defensive mechanism. They are designed to hold stuff out, to keep stuff in. They're, de- they're, de- they're designed as a defensive weapon, if you will. So, the, so let me just get this straight. Let's just get this clear. Hell is not attacking us. We are attacking hell. Let's flip this thing. Let's get it back where it's supposed to be. We've talked too long about the church being oppressed by the devil and being, you know, chased after by the, he's not chasing you. You have him on the run. The Bible tells us that if we'll submit to God, rebuke the devil, he will flee from us. He will run from us. We've got too many Christians running from the devil. Too many Christians running away from his attacks and trying to avoid his maneuvers. We should be going after him with the strongest arm we have. Everything we're seeing happen in this world is the enemy trying to keep a foothold. And we are supposed to be going in there and taking him and removing him from it. He's not trying to move you. We are trying to move him. You got to get this. Because if we, if we don't get this, then we will create our idea of church. And then we're going to wonder why we're not getting the same results that he said his church should be getting. See, this is the thing, is function follows purpose. Function follows purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is the function of the church. The function is how it works. The purpose is why it works. The purpose always answers the question why, but function always answers the question how. Well, how are we going to accomplish it? How are we going to get this job done? How are we going to do this? And he tells us very clearly in the following verse, the function or the, the purpose is to tear down the gates of hell. That's why I'm building my church. The function, how? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm afraid today we have a picture of churches that are waiting for heaven to do something. Waiting for God to do something. I wanna flip this one for you too. We're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us. 
He's waiting on us to stand according to his word. He's waiting on us to stand in the authority that he's already placed us in. He's waiting on us to speak the name of Jesus that we just sang about this morning. He gave us the name to speak it, not to just read it. To declare it. If you look in the Gospels, if you look throughout the New Testament, you will find that there is a lot that God is expecting of us and asking of us to do. And I said this last week, that we typically limit our belief system of the word of God to its lowest form of personal responsibility. It's not a great way to live. You don't get the result if you don't know the function, if you don't know how it's supposed to work. In our church, we talk a lot about the why. We talk a lot about purpose. We talk a lot about the reason. We talk a lot about answering the question, why? The number one question that everybody on this planet is asking is why? The homeless man under the bridge and the multi-billionaire in the penthouse, they're both asking the same question. Why? But now we've got to understand function. We've got to understand how this thing is supposed to work. And when the church is sitting idly by, waiting for heaven to start doing stuff about the problems in the earth, I, I got a pro, there, there's, we're not going to see the results he's promised us. Most of the reason why we don't see the results is because we don't know the function. Function. You know, this is something I'm working with my son on right now. My son is getting ready to start Little League Baseball. Thank God we can play sports again. Amen. And so we're getting ready to start up. And now he's old enough. I've, he's played for five years now. I've coached him for five years. But now he's old enough where he wants to have a certain batting stance. Do I have any guys growing up that you knew the batting stances of your favorite players? Anybody? Come on, just show me your hands. My hands up. I could mimic every batting stance. I could, I could, Jose Canseco, Julio Franco. Ken Griffey Jr. was like the sweetest one of all of them, right? Am I right, guys? Ken Griffey Jr. has the sweetest swing. It'll never be. No one will ever have a better swing. Am I right, Kyle? Amen. He said amen. He said so be it. And so my son, watching video games and, and watching baseball, has learned to mimic these batting stances. So much so that it has given him the most horrible results I've ever seen. And so finally I had to ask him, I said, now you tell me what you, what you tell me what you want this year. You tell me, okay? Whatever you want, I'll support you. Do you want to look good striking out? Or do you want to look normal getting hits? You tell me. You tell me what you want. Because one of them is functional and one of them's not. One of them's just attractive, but it doesn't get the results. One of them might not be as attractive, but it's functional and it'll get you a hit every time. You tell me what you want. So he's like, well, how can I have both? I want both of those. I want hits and I want to look good doing it. I want the, the follow through. I want the leg kick. And I want the hits. Hit every time. I said, well, unfortunately, it doesn't come that way. Because those major leaguers that you're watching have worked years. And, you know, this is the thing. Is we look at someone's end result and we want their results, but we don't want to put in the work they put in to get there. <laughs> do we just want something that's attractive? Or do we want something that's functional? Do we want something that just looks good? 
but it's just taking up space? Or do we want something that is just as much emphasize what's on the inside as what's on the outside? Are we willing to put in the work, even though it might not look attractive, even though it might not look like it, it, it's, it is a, a, you know, drawing and people just come flocking to. There was an element of Jesus's ministry that was attractive, but eventually he had to get people down to the bare minimum and say, look, you're coming after me with all these signs, wanting me to do this and heal this and raise this, but you don't want to hear any of my teaching. You don't want to hear any of the word. He called them a wicked and lazy generation. Because all you want is a sign. All you want is the attractiveness. But you don't want something that can really function. I told this to our leadership last week, that I believe today, in 2020, we're reaping what we have sown over about the last at least 15 years. Where our emphasis from 2000 on was over the attractiveness that we began to minimize and even compromise our effectiveness. When our priority is attractiveness, we will compromise effectiveness. That's what I had to teach my son. If your priority is attractiveness, then you're gonna compromise your effectiveness. If your, if your priority is looking just like Ronald Acuna Jr., then you're gonna compromise your ability to be able to hit the ball because you're dropping your shoulder. You have too high of a leg kick. It's taking you too long to get to the ball. I can, I can go through all the reasons why this isn't working for you. And I believe it's time for the church to get our priority back in place. Is it attractiveness or is it effectiveness? That doesn't mean that we're going to start reducing all the things that make us look good. There's a lot of things that came out of that generation and out of those, those, those systems that were in place over the last 15 years. There, there was a lot that was put in place that we needed. The church had forgotten that you've got to take care of your facility. The church had forgotten that it was important to clean up. It's important to have the proper lighting. It's important to have the proper sound system. It's important to have emphasis on this and that, but not at the expense of the word of God. I'm telling you today, we can have both. I believe Jesus showed us a ministry that was both attractive and effective. In Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two. The function of the church. The function of the church. How are we going to operate? We know why we exist. We exist to bring the kingdom to the earth. We exist to be a light in the midst of darkness. We exist to be a pillar in support of truth. That's the purpose. That's why. But now it's time to get down to the effectiveness. Now it's time to get down past just what looks good on the outside and what does it really take to accomplish this? How are we gonna take the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven? Do you ever notice the order that this verse is in? Do you ever notice the order that Jesus, it didn't say whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth. It says whatever, will be, whatever is bound on earth will be bound Heaven is waiting for us. In Mark chapter two, there's a story here that I think illustrates this. It says in verse one, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So Jesus just shows up in a town, goes to a house, and the whole town flocks to the house to come see and hear this man. And he preached the word to them. And then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. 
And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they, raised, that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your home. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We've never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. You know, there's always that moment where something doesn't meet our expectation. There's always that opportunity where we have this, I've never seen it done this way before. Now, God wants to exceed our expectations. Expectations are great. God wants you to live your life full of expectation, full of faith in him, full of what is possible, full of what can be done. God wants you to live in your life not as a pessimist, but an optimist of what could be done. What would this look like? What would your life look like if you were set free? What would your finances be like if you were delivered? What would this be like? What would this feel like? What would this look like? There's an expectation. But a lot of times our expectation can become our limitation if we're not careful. Our expectation can be the box that we put God in and he's not allowed to do anything outside of the box that we put him in. It's amazing to me that all these individuals are in this house and they all came in amazement. They all came because they heard about what this man was doing and was capable of. They all heard about his ministry. They all heard about the, the, the miracles and the teachings and the signs and the wonders and, the, and all the things that were following his ministry. It was just, it was blowing up. But notice, not everybody came wanting to hear and learn more. You notice that? Just because we are drawing a large crowd doesn't mean everybody's there for the right reasons. Even Jesus drew crowds of people that he probably would rather have just not had there at all. Jesus had crowds of people. If we're just after a following, if we're just after attractiveness, then let's just gather whatever. But Jesus in this moment, knows what they're thinking. There's individuals here that only came to criticize. Individuals here that only came to find something wrong with what he was doing. In fact, in the very, uh, in chapter four, no, in chapter three, the very next chapter. Chapter three, he goes into a synagogue and he's getting ready to heal a man that has a withered hand and it says that there were Pharisees and Sadducees standing around watching him intently, not to see God glorified through this miracle, but trying to see if he would perform a miracle on the Sabbath and break their law. Just because people are watching intently and gazing intently doesn't mean they're there for the right reasons. So these individuals are reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is what I've noticed. 
is that a lot of times the ones that want to give the most input have the least investment. You ever notice that? The ones that talk the loudest do the least. I had a pastor tell me a long time ago, he said, people that row the boat tend to not rock the boat. People that row the boat tend to not rock the boat. Notice we just have passerbys, we just have standbys, we just have people watching, but yet they feel like they can accuse and criminalize and and call out his ministry. They're not, they have, why are we arguing about whether or not God can forgive sins, Jesus can forgive sins, and not just being in awe of the fact that this man is about to be delivered. But even in the presence of some of the greatest miracles can be the greatest opposition. So this is why we have to come with a heart that wants to get involved and be invested, not just look around and criticize and call out. I can tell you right now that however long you've been here, whether this is your first time here or you've been here for all nine years, I'm sure that there is something we do that you would rather us do differently or not at all. That's fine. That's okay. But the last time I checked, we weren't building the church for man. We were building the church for God. The last time I checked, this house is to glorify him. We're not building an altar and building a tabernacle and building a temple to make us comfortable. We're building a tabernacle to glorify God and invite his presence in this place. And the, the, the music might not be your style, might be a little bit louder. The lights might be a little bit darker. The foyer might be a little bit smaller. The, the, there's all kinds of things we can pick out and we can choose. But I can tell you right now, the hands that get involved and the hands that get invested They don't say as much. They don't have as much criticism. You can complain about how uncomfortable the chairs are, but there were people that paid for you to have a seat today. Hello? There's always going to be critics. It doesn't matter how great the miracle, how, how great the miracle is. It doesn't matter how great God is moving. It doesn't matter what kind of powerful service took place. Something will not be to our natural physical liking. And this is the greatness and the great thing about church is we all get to come in here and we get to lay down our personal agendas and take up his. We all get to lay down our personal desires and our personal likings and we get to say, Father, what are you doing in this house? Because I can point you to person after person after person throughout the Old Testament that did something miraculous for the kingdom of God that probably most of us wouldn't have followed. Sure, you can read about them afterward, read about their accolades and read about the parting of the water and and the slaying of the giant, but did you know that that giant slayer was a dirty, nasty, stinky shepherd? that committed adultery on his own wife with another man's wife while the other man was at battle and had the other husband killed? (laughs) Sounds like a TV show. Sounds like a jacked up TV show. Do you know Moses was a murderer? You know Moses couldn't even talk right? If I got up here stuttering like he did, you wouldn't listen to me because there's plenty of other way better speakers with greater oratorical skills than what I can put together. But this is how God operates. God didn't ask us, what would you think about this individual? You know, the one time man got to vote someone in, he messed it all up. In fact, God told him, I've got a way better plan. 
I can choose the guy for you. But if you want to choose your guy, know that he's going to turn you over. He's going to turn on you. He's going to become selfish. Uh, He's going to be, he's going to do things according to his own desire. Your children and your wives are going to end up as slaves. He warned them and they still picked the guy. His name is Saul. Saul was the man that man picked. David was the one that God picked. I think I'd go with what God's doing. How about you? I think I'd rather just go with what God's doing. God, you lead the way. You tell me where to be. You tell me where to hook up. You tell me where to invest my time. You tell me where to give my effort. You tell me what you need from me. Amen. But again, in our Americanized church culture where we are so preferential and we have things just according to our liking, and hey, if I don't like this one today, I can try another one next week. I'm afraid that our function isn't arriving at the same result that God designed us to come to. So you got these individuals showing up. They could care less that a man's about to be healed. A man is about to have his sins forgiven. They're worried about what it looks like. They're more concerned with what it looks like. They're more concerned with how it looks than how it works. I said they're more concerned with how it looks. Well, that's not the way I would have done it. That's not the way they did it at my old church. That's not the way they did it when I was growing up. That's not the way they did it in the 90s. That's not the way they did it in the 70s. That's not the way they did it at grandma's church. That's not the way they taught me to do this and taught me to do that. Well, what if God is trying to show us something that we've never seen before? They all ended with, we've never seen anything like this. But they all glorified God in the midst of it. What if God is trying to show us something we've never seen? When we overvalue what something looks like, we undervalue how it works. When we overvalue what something looks like. Well, I can tell you right now, some of the most dangerous stuff to buy is the stuff that looks the most attractive. We're asking the wrong questions. We're asking the wrong questions. At, at this church, we're very defined in our mission. And when you become defined in a mission, you find yourself saying no more than you say yes. You find yourself saying no more than you say yes. I think I mentioned this last week. When we first started the church, I mean, we had push to start everything. A women's group, a men's group, an outreach group, a homeless ministry, uh, you know, uh, an addiction ministry, uh, do a Christmas program, uh, you know, every year, uh, you know, all these things that, again, are our ideas that we have collected through experience and over time. We've collected our ideas, but we found ourselves chasing all these things rather than going after God and saying, God, what do you want us to do? We tried the whole uh, coffee and donuts and breakfast items before church. I've had people ask me, why don't y'all serve coffee? Because there's coffee shops in town. Because there's a flash foods gas station right across the street. But we found that we were more internalized than externalized. We found out that before service, All our thought was, am I getting my coffee and my donut and talking with people in my circle rather than being engaged with the first-time guest that's walking in for the very first time, that this may be the last time they are giving God an opportunity to minister to their life. And we're missing that because I need a donut. That's not my mission. My mission is not to serve coffee and donuts. I can direct you to some great places that serve coffee and donuts. And if you want that, leave the house a little early, grab your coffee and donuts and come here and serve and put your hand to the plow. But that's not what we're called to do. See, a lot of times we're just trying to copy what someone else is doing rather than hearing God's heart and saying, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? I will not be a copy. I will not be an echo. I will be a voice. 
I will not say and sound like what someone else is doing. I'll be a voice that others will want to come follow. And so Jesus came and disrupted everything, man. He shows up and he's messing with all their systems, all their mess, all their theology. And they miss Jesus, the Messiah, standing right in front of them because they would rather criticize than buy in. Who was the one that said, you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? Not the theological Pharisee that knew every Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, but yet missed it when it was. It was a fisherman. A fisherman that right after he announces, may this never be when Jesus gets in Jesus's face and says, rebuke you, Jesus. May this never be when Jesus is talking about what's about to happen to him. And then have a man that within the the scope of five verses has this great revelation from God and then has to be told, get behind me, Satan. In five verses. It was, yeah. No, it was a man that was bought in. It was a man that left all, left the boat, left his dad, left his family, left comfort, left familiarity, left home to follow a man that said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What would happen if we were bought in? What would happen if we were invested What would happen if we were locked in to what God is doing and not showing up to a house where a miracle is being performed right in front of us, but criticize how it's being done, how it's taking place? No, I think Jesus wants to do something greater than what we ever thought possible. We're not trying to imitate a look We are here to implement a function. We are not here to imitate a look. We are here to implement a function. And when I am trying to copy my batting stance from some major league baseball player that's been doing it for 30 plus years, I compromise my effectiveness. I compromise my ability to do what I'm supposed to do. Vision doesn't look around. I can look at others and I can glean from others and I can learn from others, but at the end of the day, I have to walk away from those conferences. I have to walk away from those meetings. I have to walk away from those seminars and I have to say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are we doing? And it's usually a lot less than a lot more. It's usually a few takeaways. And this is the thing. The one who invented the church is very well capable of telling us how to run it. <laughs> I wonder if, if what would happen if we would go after God as hard as we go after conferences. I mean, I, I've seen pastors spend some bukus of money to travel, to go to these conferences, which the conference is built up as a money getter. They're charging you to come to the conference. Isn't that interesting when someone writes a book and tells you to buy a book on how to save money? I could start by saving the $10. I'm not telling you there's not some good help out there and you need to make an investment. But sometimes we're not even doing the least. We're not even doing the minimum. We're not even doing our part. We're expecting everybody else to fix our problems. I'm telling you, God can show us. God can give us a clear picture. And guess what? We might get done with what God is doing and look back and say, I've never seen it done that way. I believe that for future now. I believe that over future now, that you guys are gonna get some, I've never seen it done that way responses. I mean, right now, people are having to figure out how to do things differently than they ever did before. Hello? Some of you are learning, hoping you can teach your kid this semester. And you might already be a weekend and be like, when does that thing open up again? Where can I send them back? This ain't working. That was us in March. They shut down school, and it took me till about March 15th. I ain't cut for this. 
you have to be in a classroom with somebody else. This ain't working. I don't care if they make you go in a bubble suit. You're going back to school. I don't care what you have to wear. I don't care what they put you in. I don't care if they isolate you. If you have to wear a hazmat suit, I don't care. Put the thing on, go to school, get out of my house. I can't teach you. You ain't listening to me, and I don't know this stuff anyways. That was my life from March, April, and May. And all of you looking at me with your judgmental eyes like, well, you couldn't figure it. Whatever. I have, there's no shame in my game. I love our teachers. Thank God for our teachers. I'll send them back in that classroom quick. And for all of you that took it on to, to homeschool your kids, more power to you. When you open enrollment, let me know. i send my kid there. We got to know our place. We got to know our fit. We got to know our call. I tell you, one of the greatest ways to, to discourage your life is try to do what somebody else is supposed to do. I, I'm telling you, you, you will never be satisfied. You'll never reach a moment of encouragement. You, you will be running circles trying to do something God never designed you to do. All the while, what he called you to do is sitting dormant, being forfeited. There are gifts all across this room. There is empowerment all across this room. There is something God has called you to do. I am encouraging you, get your eyes on him. Get your eyes on him. Spend time with your heavenly father. You wanna know what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to do it? Talk to the father. Talk to your God. Talk to your maker. Hallelujah. We must avoid conversations that keep us focused on method in practice. We must avoid. I'll tell you what, you will cripple vision. You'll cripple vision because you compromise your purpose over attractiveness. You compromise function over attractiveness. You compromise what it's supposed to do because of what you think it's supposed to look like. I want to do things for God that I look back and say, I've never done it this way. I've never heard it spoken that way. I've never seen it done that way. I'm telling you this, God is creative. God hasn't run out of ideas. God didn't get to 2020 and say, well, I'm all out. What else is left? He is still the most creative being in the planet. And he can show you how to do it. I believe the church is supposed to be doing things nobody else is doing. I believe our businesses should be the most fruitful. I believe our ministries should be the most impactful. I believe our families should be the strongest. I believe our marriages should be the most grounded. Hello. I believe our communities, Anchor Faith Church is here to make Valdosta better, not worse. I don't want to be the church that they're glad when we close our doors. I want them to be, please don't go, we need you. We need your people. Your employees are the best employees we have. telling you, we should be setting the bar. We should be setting the example. Worship team, if you come. He says this at the end. I just think this is so amazing. You know what's so interesting about this story? Is we, we're fixated on the man's physical outward condition. He's a paralytic. He had to be brought there by four people. You came to church on your own two feet today. This individual had to be dropped down in what had to be one of the most embarrassing scenarios ever. You tore up somebody else's roof to get him in front of Jesus. That shows how bad. When you want to get to Jesus, you will do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. But we're fixated on this man's external condition of paralysis. 
But over in the corner was a condition far worse than legs that don't work. It was rotten hearts on the inside. And Jesus says, the church is not just here to fix the stuff that everybody sees. The church exists to fix the stuff no one sees. Yeah, it's easy to just look at the stuff on the outside. Look, we can dress up the stuff on the outside, right? Some of us, we dress the stuff up on the outside to accommodate for the messed up stuff on the inside. He says, which is easier? Which is easier today? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, the internal. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house, external. He's saying, I'm here to make sure it looks good and that it works good. I'm here to make sure that the external is healed and the internal is made whole. God does not want you walking in here just to get all the messed up stuff on the outside that everybody sees fixed. He wants to get the stuff fixed that nobody sees. God wants to minister to the stuff in this house and through this building and through this organization and through this church. He is wanting to get to the stuff that nobody wants to touch, the roots. We're all fixated on getting the right fruit, but you don't get the right fruit until you get the right root. The church exists not to just dress people up, so we can put on our Sunday best while we're dying on the inside. He's interested in all of it. He's interested in all of it. Would y'all stand with me? Would you stand with me? I just want this to be a a moment of, of consecration. Consecrate means to set apart for a specific use. To be set apart for a specific use. And I want this to be a moment between you and God. Nobody around you. Nobody beside you. You and God. Say, God, I'm invested. I'm bought in. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be a part of your house. I want to be a part of your purpose. I want to be a part of your vision. Forgive me for placing emphasis on what it looks like while compromising how it works. Come on, everyone in this room, all across this room, we're at different levels and different degrees, but we can all give a little. We can all do a little more. We can all stretch a little more. God, how can I be bought into your mission? What is your heart? Reveal your heart to me so I can reveal your heart to others. You're not just focused on the outside. You're not just focused on what everybody sees. You are after the heart. Man chooses by what's on the outside. But God looks at the heart. Come on, let him in the deep places right now. Let him in the places where nobody sees. Let him in the places where you, have, you haven't even given voice to that struggle within, to that issue within. He wants to heal it. He wants to touch it. So you can know that the power, that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on the inside. He'll heal it all. He'll touch it all. But he wants to get to what's inside. What is, what is rooted in you?
Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.